0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Thriving Minds podcast. I'm very excited to have Professor Marcia Devlin with us today. We're very honoured that she's given us her time. She is the CEO of the Victorian Academy of Teaching and Leadership, and we'll learn a little bit about that in the podcast because I think it's quite a so- exciting new development, um, for, especially for teachers. So Marcia Devlin is a was <laughs> and is a qualified teacher and a registered psychologist and she began her education career as a primary teacher before moving into the tertiary sector. She has extensive experience in professional learning for teachers and facilitating improved student learning through excellence in teaching and learning leadership. Her most recent executive roles were as senior deputy vice chancellor at Victoria University and then she previously held executive and senior roles at Federation Uni, RMIT, Deakin, and the University of Melbourne. Since 2018, uh, she's been a member of the board of the Victorian Curriculum and Assessment Authority, and she's also a non-executive director of the board of Melbourne Polytechnic and a trust member of the Queen Victoria Women's Centre. And lastly, and not least, um, she's also an acclaimed author of a book that you may have heard of on my podcast called Beating the Odds, which I hope we get to speak about also today. So welcome, Marcia. Thanks very much, Selena, and absolutely lovely to be here. So would you like to introduce yourself? Um, that was your professional CV introduction, <laughs> but I'd love people to meet you on a more personal note.
1: Sure. Yeah, that is the very highfalutin and uh, posh selling CV. So yeah. Um, it's funny when you hear those bios read out, which, of course, you've written yourself, um, it doesn't really sound like the person you are. So um, I'm Marcia. I'm uh, married to Pete. We have two young adult children called Finn and Angus, and uh, I think of myself actually as a mother and partner first before anything. Um, my professional persona, if you like, is, um, is important to me, as it is to everyone with a with a profession or even with a job, Um and I try to be uh, the person I am in my real life, IRL, in real life. Um, we're talking a lot about that in Victoria as we come out of lockdown. Um, in my leadership and academic and uh, professional life. Uh, and that is, it sounds very cliché, but to be authentic. Um, I do get a lot of feedback from people that that is refreshing. I often am called refreshing or a breath of fresh air uh, because I don't, don't put on the airs and graces of uh, of a leader. And I think we're going to talk about some of that stuff. But yeah, that's me,
0: Selena. Oh, Thank you for being so open to share who you really are. And I think this is such an important conversation. I know this is not the first question that you plan for, but I think what uh, being a woman in science as well, the thing that I came to realize very early on in my career too, and this is might be something you felt is that um, in the eighties and nineties, you weren't meant to be a woman and become a leader or in science, you were meant to be not either having children. You weren't, you weren't meant to look a certain way. You had to learn to play golf. And that was what I learned um, very early on in my neuroscience career. So Just as you mentioned there, being authentic and being yourself so that women um, can see that to become CEO or become scientific leaders, they can be who they are. They don't need to be learn how to play golf or et cetera. You can be a a mother and a partner as well. Absolutely. And it was actually a, a senior man who gave me the advice. I think I got
1: appointed to my first executive role. I can't remember quite when it was, but it was a significant appointment. And he wrote to me and said, uh, he's in the UK, but he sort of mentored me for a few years informally. He said, don't think that you need to become someone else now that you have a senior role. They employed you and you was in capitals, uh, not some imagined version of yourself. And it was just one of the best pieces of advice I ever got because I was really anxiously worrying about what was I going to do? How was I going to behave? You know, what does it mean to do, be this? senior leader and it, it, you know him just saying to me be yourself because who else can you be um was really liberating but you're right selena it's changed i mean i think um women of our generation have helped uh, women coming behind us in that you you don't have to hide your real self um another male leader said to me at one point i said i had to go and do something with one of the children i had a one-year-old and a three-year-old at the time and he took me aside and just a little bit of advice. He said, don't mention your children at work. Just say you've got an appointment. Don't say it's to take the children to uh-huh. the doctor. It's not very professional. And I thought, oh, nonsense. And I actually made me, <laughs> made me quite contrary. And I thought, no, I'm going to say it. So I annoyed him no end by mentioning my children at every possible opportunity. Because I, I don't think it's right to hide your real self. I mean, you wouldn't tell people
0: all the personal details. But enough that they know you're a human and you're relatable. Yeah. I had uh, an incident uh, happen to me in San Francisco where someone came up to me and said, You're not allowed. I had a four month old and a three year old, and and I was in a lab in San Francisco. I had a woman come up to me who hadn't had children yet <laughs> and say to me okay. that I need to buy a second car because I wasn't allowed to leave at five o'clock to pick up my kids from childcare. What? And that, I <laughs> know. So this was in the night. Yeah late 90s but anyway so yeah. let's talk about leadership and teaching because I think this academy is very very exciting and uh, I, I could not agree more with the minister that appointed you to this position um, working myself in schools and being in the university myself how important it is for us to start to elevate the profession of teaching in our country mm-hmm. would you like mm-hmm. to speak a little bit about that?
1: Yes, well, look, that's one of the things that really drew me to this position. Um, I've been an academic for 30 years and I have a secret uh, passion for teaching and learning. And when I say it's secret, I have had to moderate my enthusiasm for it in the university environment. As you know, research is king and queen and Jack. Um, research is where the prestige is. Research is where the status is. Um, research performance is uh, what is used for, as the basis for promotion more often than teaching and learning. Um, and as the, I, I originally trained as a primary school teacher and had a very short uh, career in in uh, primary teaching before moving into tertiary for various reasons. Um, I, I just I, I've always believed and coming from a family where my father was a teacher of the profound potential of teaching to transform lives. I'm not saying research doesn't. Of course it does. That's where new knowledge is created. Um, But but that new knowledge needs to be shared and shared with people in ways that are um, accessible and meaningful to help them have a better life. So elevating the profession of teaching, I think it is so undervalued Um, I have done and I've had to keep it to myself, you know, I I ended up doing my research in teaching and learning as a way (laughs) to survive and thrive in the university sector, but actually focus on what I thought was important. So to have a role where I'm allowed to be open about my passion and enthusiasm for teaching, um, there's ministerial support, government support. Uh, a huge budget and, you know, just enormous um, open enthusiasm for this is just wonderful. I keep pinching myself thinking I can't believe I've landed here. It's wonderful.
0: I would love that to happen in Queensland or even just Australia as a national country uh, because I don't know if you've read the book about uh, the papers, there's a new uh, unit in the OECD around neuroscience, and they're building a brain capital index um, because wow. we're in the brain economy, yep. and, the, and the most important skill set that we can develop is cognitive skills, and yep. the shortage of jobs is going to be massive. So upskilling teachers um, in this space, and this is where what the work I'm doing on in neuroscience in this space, so I think it's really exciting. It is, so, I'm interested to know what sparked your interest in improving opportunities for women in leadership.
1: Uh, to be honest, it was probably frustration, Selena, at um at realizing that uh, personally, for me, things were obstructed because I was female. I, I just I was outraged when I when I sort of it began to dawn on me um, that men had an easier route because they were men, and just the unfairness of that. I've always had a <laughs> very strong uh, you know radar if you like antenna for what's fair and what's not fair and just that absolute unfairness of because of your gender you know you weren't allowed to do some things and you were expected to behave certain ways these gendered expectations which are still current today just drove me mad so I just um, I mean really it was therapy for me I started talking about it I started writing about it and one thing leads to another. So, yeah, but the basis in, in terms of your question, the spark was fury <laughs> at the injustice. Um, you know, since then, I've learned lots about uh, the benefits of having women in leadership in terms of company performance, bottom line, equity, All there's, there's lots of research now, lots of stats you can call on. Um, but always, and, and, and that's really useful for making arguments for why you should have more women in leadership uh, because I've found people don't, people... People in power uh, don't um, aren't so interested in the injustice, in really tackling it. But they will listen if you say, "Did you know? If you have more women on your leadership team or women on your board, the organisation will perform better." And here's the evidence to support that. And people are very interested in that. So, yeah, it was injustice. It still is. That's what keeps me going. And keeps yeah, me going. I mean,
0: racial injustice is even greater, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, double yeah. whammy. Yeah. I also think that in terms of the new academy you're running, there's, there couldn't be a greater need to upskill teaching into the leadership space for our society as well. Absolutely. I think that's yeah. a really big missing gap. Yeah. Um, what would you say have been the biggest challenges you've faced in leadership situations?
1: Uh, I, I really think meeting gendered expectations. I, I've had a lot of feedback about my style. I write about that in my book, um, and it's... Um, You know, I spoke earlier about the need to be authentic and genuine and be yourself. I am who I am. I'm quite direct. Um, I can be quite blunt. I don't often realise I'm doing that. I've got much better and more aware over the years, but I just state the obvious. And that's not what women are supposed to do. We're supposed to be quiet and well-behaved. And you can hear my voice being uh, moderated now because that's the way we're supposed to speak and be gentle and be nurturing. And I just think that's a load of cod's wallop because why can't I just be whoever I am? Um, it's exhausting to, you know, moderate yourself and behave the way you're supposed to, a bit like Mother Superior, and very understanding and nurturing even when people are behaving badly and you're being, you're being taken advantage of, or worse, the people in your care are being taken advantage of um, and expected to behave in gendered ways that hold them back. So uh, that, that continues to be uh, the challenge. You know, and I've joined the public service now and the school sector, and uh, I've already got a small tribe of women <laughs> who uh, obviously looked me up when my appointment was announced and a couple have got my book and (laughs) we've started a little tribe internally. Uh, You know, one of them mentioned to me in my second or third week, had I noticed yet that the men interrupt the women in meetings and have much longer turns when they speak? (laughs) Well, I don't want to comment on that yet. I'll I'll observe for a little bit longer. Uh, But obviously, whatever the profession, whatever the context, you know, women are dealing with the same challenges. So yeah, for me, that's been them, um, you know, balancing the gendered expectations with being a strong leader, and making decisions, being decisive, um, and calling things out when you need to, which is an important part of leadership. So balancing that is very difficult for women, I think, even today.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we've come a long way in the last 20 years, thank goodness. Um, Absolutely. in The research space, at least, uh, uh, actually, the Vice Chancellor, the at QUT had some significant role in putting together this thing called rope which is relative to opportunity yep. and I've never got to ride a rope in my life until no. 2011 but back in the day you just had to be pregnant and keep up all the papers and the grants yep. pretend you never had kids and all of that kind yep. of thing so it was quite tricky. um, And it still really is like that deep down in some sense, but you have more opportunity to at least write about the challenges of trying to maintain a scientific career and compete. (laughs) But and so that brings me to your book, if you don't mind um, talking about that, because I think it's it's really fabulous. It's called Beating the Odds, if anyone is interested. And a lot of my friends have read it, uh, a lot of people in my circles in universities, and I remember reading it in bed, actually, and laughing nearly every um, second line, and my partner can verify that. And he was like, what are you laughing at? I said, this is exactly... What happened to me? The whole of my career, yep. and and so I just loved how you brought humor to a topic that can be quite distressing to talk about. And I think that's really, really important because we don't want we want to work on this together, don't we? We don't want to have a separation that creates a more divide, to be honest, and people being scared about you know, bringing women in because they might get in trouble, which has happened in America, to be honest. Um, there's a lot of suing and things like that. We don't want that. We want to work together to to beat the odds. So I thought bringing humor to the situation allowed everyone to talk about it in a way that they hadn't before. Were you kind of surprised about how widely re- received? I know you write this as a blog kind of thing. Your book yeah. has been...
1: Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, I still am. And and I have to say to you Selena, um you are probably and and Martin, your partner um responsible for QUT uh, um they are the biggest Purchases of my book, by far. really? <laughs> yeah, I just I get. Oh yes, I've got, I've got multiple, um, you know, individual purchases, but also bulk purchases. They just keep coming, and I think, and that you know, people put their address in the system, and they often put their work Q T again. So, thank you, Selena. Thank you, Martin. Uh, look, I have been surprised at the interest. It's it's been extraordinary. I I did I wrote the book for therapy, and you know I I uh, I did think I don't want to come across as and I'm not bitter and twisted and angry because I just think that's a limited, it's okay, I think, just to shoot off a little blog or an email or a a short piece um, where you're furious, but I do use humour to channel my fury, (laughs) to channel my fury, and also it's a kind of way to mock something that is in place in terms of gender uh, inequality that's just accepted. And when you sort of um, take the proverbial, um, you know, out of it, you, you you disarm it and you undermine it. Um, and, yeah, it's just a much more pleasant way to go, laughing at something that's quite serious and awful. And it, it was a delicate act. I mean, it's sort of how I think that book is just uh, going back to authentic and genuine. That That's that's me, <laughs> the way I think inside my brain just coming out. Um, and uh, I don't mean to be funny, but, you know, people <laughs> tell me I am. And, you know, the, the book being humorous was was a surprise. Oh, um, really? I was,
0: yeah, uh, so I just I wanted think, to ru- <laughs> like just to let the audience know that I haven't read the book. Um, my favourite one was bro appropriation and man interruption. Man interruption. They Fantastic. they have been my whole life in science because I'm often uh, when I especially in San Francisco, actually everywhere I've been. But basically, when you're at the table and you're often the only woman, and and I'm not very loudly spoken either, um, mm-hmm. and I'm quite sensitive, so people would like i had one of my because i can say this now because in a different place but i had a person that was a lawyer who was my kind of i had two bosses and he was one of them and he was so good at speaking mm-hmm. that he was able to take anyone's ideas and he could speak <laughs> about the subject for at least 10 minutes and no one, no one would ever interrupt him because i think People mm. don't want to be rude. And mm. he would, he would al- eloquently just take every single one of the ideas in a meeting, and then everyone thought it was his idea at the end. Yeah. Of yeah. So- Brilliant.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you could get furious about that and, and think about stabbing people, or you can just laugh at it and think, yeah, especially, you know, Selena. one of the things about the book has been I didn't know it was happening, the things that I talk yes. about in the book, that happened to me and are happening to me, I didn't realise how widespread it was. I mean, I don't know whether that's quite conceited or egotistical or self-centred or whatever, but I just thought these things are happening to me. I thought it was partly my personality. I am very driven. I am very blunt, as I said before, um, and partly it's it's me. Um, but it's not. It's not me at all. Like women from every age and stage, um, multiple cultures, people from other countries have written to me. My book's Selling Overseas. Um, saying this is exactly what's happened to me. So that validation, um, you know, and actually it, it is funny. When you know it's not you and you know that every woman everywhere, occasionally I say, occasionally I say to a woman something about in the book, they go, oh, no, that hasn't happened to me. And I think, really? Or has have you not noticed? But it's, you know, maybe it hasn't. But most women, I'd say 99% of women I speak to, you start the sentence and they'll finish it for you about man interruption, yeah. about broke repreation, uh, or as Julie Bishop called it on that um, TV show, yeah. misrepresented gender deafness. A woman speaks, everyone, there's crickets, no one says anything. And then two <laughs> minutes later, a man says, you know, blah, 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 and says exactly the same thing. Everyone says, oh, what a great idea. Wait a minute, that's what Selena said a minute ago. So that idea, and this has happened to me already in my new job. Um, I said something a man said something afterwards and then a woman one of the women who's now in my tribe who sent me a photograph of my book uh yesterday because she's now bought it and is reading it um said look I just want to go back to what Marcia said a couple of minutes ago which uh, which you know obviously X has agreed with but I just think Marcia's idea is a really really good and she amplified what I said and we've now got the agreement to do that for each other with a third woman you know so the the interest in the book is um it's it's wonderful and and mainly it's wonderful." you don't make any money out of uh, books, by the way, so I, it's not why I'm sort of spruiking it, is because it, it gives people, gives women validation about what's happened to them and shows them it's not their fault and, and connects them to a global community of women who are experiencing the same thing. It's also really good for men. A lot of men have read it and gone, I had no idea this was your experience and, you know, mind blown, um, I will now do something to help I thought that
0: was also the book isn't just about beating down it's about beating up the odds by offering opportunities for one changing the conversation and without self-awareness we call it unconscious incompetence well you know Martin's writing a book about that and and you're not aware of what you're not aware of until it that's becomes right. now it becomes knowledge and facts. And so there's, there's new solutions around how to change that tra- trajectory. And that's what I love about the book too. Right. It's, a, it's a solution as well as talking about the problem. So thank you for doing that for us. We really appreciate it. So we're, we're wondering where you see now the opportunities arising when people now start to beat the odds, which I see happening um, with our beautiful young gen- generation, which we partly created And and we want to keep facilitating, not beating down. We want to give them opportunities to rise. And I I see this in my profession um, because we're living longer. We're keeping our jobs longer. And I think Mm -hmm. this is creating a big problem for our young people. So I was just having a conversation about how I was invited on to a conference. And I'm now 56 and I have young researchers in their 30s. And the people running the conference are even older than me, and I'm thinking where are all of the young people? Just Mm. because we've been in this for decades doesn't mean we should be still doing it. We should be. So this is what another thing I'd like you to talk about. How do we, as an older generation, facilitate many more opportunities for the younger generation now that they've had the COVID-19 pandemic as well?
1: Yeah, so I, I think that's a great question. It's so important. It does rely on our personal integrity, I think, and, um, you know, surrendering a bit of ego. And once I started to do that, it's actually a joy because, you know, the real benefits and you know all about the whether it's serotonin or dopamine and uh, forgive me, Selena, I can't remember which is which, where you do something for someone else and it just makes you feel so good. So it's it's become so easy and so joyful now. I get asked to do a lot of things for me to think of someone else who's younger or and or less experienced who I know would be really good and probably better than me to say to the person asking me, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't do that. But I would strongly recommend this person and here's their bio and here's that, you know, and they come with my endorsement. And another uh, less senior woman gets that opportunity. It's just win, win, win all round, I think. Yeah. And um, But it does rely on us, yeah, as I said, uh, giving up some of our... Uh, power and status and giving it to others. But I just, I can't recommend it strongly enough to, to senior women. Um, and also, if you then go and listen to those women speak, you learn something that, you know, you're, you're, uh, you, you can uh, incorporate with acknowledgement into your next, um, you know, opportunity to speak about things. But uh, I think we have to work really hard to create those opportunities. You're right, we are working longer, um, as we have the right uh, to do. Um, But how do we also share, you know, the privilege that we have with others? Um, And I think we probably need to do more thinking about that. You know, giving a
0: a spot on a speaking panel is one thing. But what else can we do? And, Absolutely, because yeah. uh, with the gig economy as well and the disruption, the digital disruption, I feel like as we have a responsibility to think about that. Absolutely. And you're in that you're in the profession that allows that right now. The teachers trying to promote our next generation of young, beautiful people.
1: Oh, they are so so beautiful, and they're so energetic and enthusiastic, and um, so you know, clever
0: too. Yes, and so clever, indeed, indeed. So um, now, what can you can you uh, chat a little bit about what you see as potential challenges facing women and men coming together around these issues to beat the odds together?
1: Well, just as I said, I think about um, you know older, more experienced women stepping aside, giving up some of the power and status to other women. I think that's also the case for men and women coming together. Um, you know. Power sharing and its power in all its different forms is challenging and difficult, as I've just acknowledged. And, and men have to make a decision to do that and then enact that decision. I think they'll find that, like we do as experienced older women, that there's joy in doing so, facilitating the success of others. Um, but it is, it is, um, it's not an easy thing to do and it's not a simple thing to do. I think, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but dialogue is so important between men and women. There are so many good men uh, in our lives and around us. Uh, As I said before, just taking my book as one small example, we're just horrified. Um, My father-in-law, who's in his 80s and lives in the UK and a very nice, very intelligent man, but of that generation, uh, read my book, and his comment was, I had no idea that some people (laughs) felt the way you do. And he, I think he's still reeling in shock from, you know, I've, I've he's been my father-in-law for 30-something years. He didn't know that that's the way I thought, that was my experience of the world and that's the way I thought about it, you know. Um, but he's now thinking about it and thinking about it, no doubt, in relation to his daughter and his granddaughters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there they may even be great granddaughters, um, you know, if he survives a little bit longer. Um, there's no reason to suggest he won't. So, you know, that, that men and women coming together in, in personal lives and in professional lives requires um, honest dialogue but gentle. I think that going back to what I said about I didn't want to write a book where I was angry, twisted, bitter feminist because I just thought that will put people off. It will put off women, young women who, you know, they don't want to be part of that. They want to be optimistic and see the future, you know, with bright eyes um, and, and also to really try and speak to men in a way that wasn't accusatory and didn't blame them, uh, just gently, you know, through humour pointed out, this is the way the world is for women. Are you okay with that and if not you know here are some suggestions about what you might do to help us yeah but it's not easy not easy
0: I don't know if you saw this but in the early 2000s I saw a back backlash lash against Gloria Steinem and, and all the feminist movement where women yes. actually said I don't want a career I want to stay with my kids and so there was yes. a period of time where people even gave up a career because they didn't yeah. they saw it because what we were doing was two jobs and we made life look really difficult so they're like, oh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And also I noticed some younger women, you know, getting married and taking their husband's name. And uh, I just thought that was really curious because when I got married, it was very much the thing that you didn't do that. Um, we went as far, Pete and I, have, of uh, one child has my surname and one child has his surname. Yeah. And, you know, people hear that still even today and go, oh, my God, you know, oh, mind blown. That's just, you know, how, how did you cope? Well, no one cared. The only problem the time was ever a problem with swimming lessons. For some reason, they couldn't cope with two kids at different ages with different names. They didn't believe they're in the same family. Even when Pete and I fronted up together and said, We're married, I'm the mother, he's the father of both children. Could they please have swimming lessons at the same time, but in different levels? Too difficult. But apart from that swimming incident, um, you know, it didn't matter. It was, but why did the children automatically get the man's name? And that comes from the tradition and the belief that women were property. They belonged to their father. The father gave them away at the wedding to their husband. They became the husband's property. And the children that were produced in that union were the husband's property also. What a load of cods all up. So, you know, I, we thought about this so much and, you know, came to this uh, agreement and everything's worked out fine. And we're all a family. It doesn't matter. Two of us have my name. Two of us have Pete's name. But um, then I noticed that younger women were uh, and, and i don't know whether that was part of the backlash as well selena and you asked them about it and these are women who are professional women you know academics uh, professional staff in universities that, that you know it's been the people i've been around the last few years and they didn't hadn't thought about it well they just thought it would be lovely to have the same name you know and i'd say to them why don't you get him to change his name to yours oh no no you couldn't do that why not Do you know where this tradition comes from? It comes from women being property. But it's so long ago, it has sort of been forgotten, and there's this new romantic notion about marriage. Anyway, it's very interesting. I mean, women...
0: What uh, what is Keith's last name, by the way? Well, it's terrible. It's topping, like ice cream. (laughs) We couldn't have you go down that far in the alphabet. Marcia. That's right.
1: Well, that's the other thing. Yeah. You know, Dean and I are devlins and we say we always come first. And Angus is always complaining, he's a topping and he's right near the end. Yeah. So there's but also, it's a stupid name. Who'd want to be called Topping?
0: I made an upgrade to the alphabet. That's why I changed mine. Right. Um, okay.
1: No, I'm But just, just to go back to that, that's, and I you know I've learned over the years, my, it's my personal view about that, right? I, I don't have any right to impose that view or to judge women you know feminism is about women doing whatever they want and if they want to change their name to their husband's name they can do that of course they can it's just interesting that um you know some of them i've, ta- or I've talked to don't know why they're doing it and don't understand the implications of I, or, or the history yeah. of it you know
0: I, I thought the the what had happened in our generation was in the sandwich generation which is where we got to have a career and children mm-hmm. whereas my my mother and grandmother were not able to, they had to resign. And uh, when they were in the beginning days, it was like when they met somebody and then by the sixties, it was when you were engaged or pregnant. And so I felt like a big step forward was that I could actually have a career, but then consequently, then you have two jobs. You have a full-time caring job and a full-time work job. And I think that ends up causing a lot of strain in your life. But then that's the only way you can compete in science, to be really honest. Yep. But at the same time, the women be are watching you going, yeah. I'm not doing that. No, no. way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But so then, it's you like know, now then, we have to change that. So yes.
1: But that begs
0: the question to me. Why are you doing all the caring and all the housework? Why? Well, because because that was what I did. I know, I know. But you know, um, it's like, yeah. But some people do and some people don't, you know, mm-hmm. because for lots of reasons and we can go down that pathway what my friend in america who's a a successful professor at uc berkeley said to me one day and i laughed at her to be honest when she was watching me run around to soccer baseball softball in between sending an nih grant off um, she said to me selena nothing's going to change until the men are doing housework yep and i was like and you write this in your book and i'm like Mm -hmm. i need to send your book to susie (laughs) You do. Although Susie doesn't need my book because she's already realized Oh well she did. She didn't, she she's not, she does she does zero of the care Right.
1: and her right. husband
0: does it all. Does it all? Yeah. And but so he's like, you know, run he's rung out right. too. Maybe you send the book to him. I know. <laughs> it's just about fairness. I mean They're the actually coming here on study leave at in, oh. probably at uni they're from uni of Melbourne, actually. She yeah. is anyway, I'd love you to meet her. She's really quite amazing. I'd but love to. Anyway, she'd said that to me in around 2008, so I thought it was really interesting to read it in your book. So we, I know you've got to um, leave and you've given me a lot of your time, so we might end, uh, head towards the end by asking you what's your life purpose and where, where are you hoping to take not just your new role and and career but your overall life?
1: Yeah, big question. Um, I mean, I thought about this because you very kindly sent me this question beforehand to think about. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it changes. And I wrote a little bit about this in the book about your primary professional purpose. But I think my life purpose is in and around facilitating success for others. And it, it just, it works on so many levels. So I I I do that and I feel really good. So it feels, I mean, I I used to be a Catholic and we are very well-versed in guilt about everything. So I feel good when I help somebody and then I feel guilty about feeling good because it shouldn't be about me, it should be about them. But actually, as I try and get over that as I get older, it's about helping other people, which is good for them, um, it's good for you because it makes you feel good and it makes the world a better place it's also in line with gender expectations we're supposed to help people so it kind of all marries up and it's okay <laughs> um, yeah but I, I do think I, you know um, you know as you get older more and more people you love start to die and you do think what why am I here what am I doing my father died a few years ago and he was a teacher yeah oh and uh it was um you know it often happens after people die you know 300 people came to his funeral and the outpouring of love and appreciation he taught english in high schools and he also taught irish language in his spare time and he's considered a a scholar in the irish language in australia and you know there's now scholarships in his name and uh, all sorts of things being carried on he wrote plays that were performed in English and Irish, um, he used a lot of humour, probably where I get the humour gene from, um, to disarm people and help them relax. And uh, he used to pretend he didn't know how to do things and didn't understand things because he taught uh, students sometimes English was their second language and then they would help him understand something in English, that sort of little trick you use yeah. where you, you know, get the person to teach you and then they feel good because they've helped the teacher and so forth. Um and so, you know, reflecting on my father's legacy, he he left the place uh, better than he found it in that he educated so many people and he, and he taught English literature. He taught it to teenagers, you know, Shakespeare and things. And so many people in my life have literally stopped me in the street to tell me about the impact that my father had on their lives. So my life purpose is in and around trying to emulate that, right? trying to emulate that in terms of, I've focused a lot on women in leadership. I've worked in education for a long time. I'm still there. I have this opportunity with this new job to um, help people see the true value of teaching and teachers, which, you know, they're just so undervalued. And, um, you know, if I can make a little difference to that, you know, through my leadership, what a wonderful um, legacy and what a wonderful purpose and, you know, to leave things a little bit better in that regard than they were.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I hope I really wish you all the success in doing that because our country is going to really need it, yeah. especially in the brain economy that we're now really well Absolutely. and truly in. Absolutely. So I'm really grateful to Victoria for leading the way in that way. So hopefully with the competition existing now in the States. in our Oh, yes. Well, a few other states are already looking to see what we're doing. So um, that's just very good. Um, we look forward to seeing you again um, and Thank you for all the great work you're doing. Thank you for beating the odds. And thank you for helping us do the same thing.
1: thank you for having this podcast and thank you for inviting me on. Thank you for all the work you do, because uh, I think this is a bit of a mutual appreciation society, but that's all right. Um, You know, it's not easy. You spend a lot of your time uh, finding guests and preparing them and doing this work and then disseminating it. And I think it's really helpful to so many people. So thank you for your contribution too.
0: Yeah, so um, do you want to let them know where they can, how they can get your book? By the way, I think that'd be helpful. Oh I'm yeah, not so listening
1: to my podcast. Sure. Um, it's it's my website's the easiest, and um, it's Marcia Devlin, all one word: M A R C I A D E V L I N dot com dot au slash shop, um, or just go to the website and you'll find it there. If you buy it through Amazon, um, they keep most of the money. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know, you're supporting Amazon if, if you're okay with that. But if you go to the website, it comes directly um, to me. But as I said, you don't make any money out of it. So get it however you can. I don't provide e-versions. I don't know how to do that. It's beyond
0: my skill level. So well, I can want help with e- that copy. if you're interested.
1: Oh, right.
0: Okay. Great. <laughs> I, have, I have know how to with. do all of that. Um, but anyway, great. I'm sure that will happen one day. I also think it would be great to have a, I don't know if you've done the reading, reading your book and putting it on audible that'd be really oh no I've,
1: yeah yeah i had just got to find time i think that's yeah. the thing but yeah a few people have asked Brilliant. about Isn't that i should
0: <laughs> so funny to hear your voice talk or
1: <laughs> well do you know when i would written it as you do when you write a book you're so fed up with it you don't want to have anything to do with it ever again but i'm get i'm, I'm now in a space where that could be actually quite a fun thing to do so yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway lovely to see you
1: and thank you for coming you're welcome thank you selena